Hi friends, welcome to the Faithful Podcast, stories of people who walked by faith and gained a fuller understanding of the faithfulness of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Baker. Thanks so much for listening. You can find me on iTunes at Faithful Podcast by Stephanie Baker or at my website, faithfulpodcast.podbean.com. If you like the show, please leave me a review. Reviews help people find the podcast so that it can be an encouragement to them. Also, I never really get the chance to share it, but all the music on the show, as well as all of the editing, is done by my awesome husband, Phil Baker. You should check out his podcast, Reclaiming the Faith, and his most recent musical releases, The Shadows EP and The Love and War EP. You will love them. This episode is part two of my interview with Andrea Pale, discussing her family's journey with addiction. Andrea shares about the difficulty of watching those you love struggle with addiction and God's redemptive power. You guys, God did some amazing things with her family. If you have not listened to part one yet, please check that out first. So without further delay, this is part two of my interview with Andrea Pale. What was the biggest blessing out of this process? I really think in many ways that my brother's addiction set our family on the path of healing. I don't know that we would have, I don't know that healing would have come any other way, quite honestly. Um, As I said, the first time that I got the call to come into counseling, I was really, my initial response was was afraid and uh, rejecting the notion of especially meeting with my mom. Um, and, and the recovery process, but th- th- it turned out to be the best. Yes. Because I gained a brother and I got, I got a mother, honestly, mm. God That's has so restored good. so much between my mom and I that I don't think would have happened otherwise. Uh, we've done some individual counseling, some work between just the two of us. And, um, recently actually I, it's just, it's truly miraculous. I didn't want to be in the same room, honestly, with her and my brother when, um, we first entered uh, to, into counseling through his recovery. And two months ago, uh, my brother relapsed. And it was actually my mom and I that went together to be with him and uh, to do essentially an intervention with him. And I, afterwards, we went to lunch and my mom was crying, which was a part of her process, even just allowing pain to come into her own life and to acknowledge her own pain and sadness and she was crying and she looked at me because I I spoke with Chris on the phone when he was in his apartment um, and he was dealing with so much shame he didn't want to come out and so Mm. he was willing to speak with me on the phone and so I talked with him through that process and let him know everything given remains all of all of the connection all of the belonging all of the relationship and restoration that had been given to us as a family was still his um, that he only needed to take one step back towards sobriety and recovery and so in that process, my mom said, I'm so proud of you. And I am so glad that, that it was you. And I'm so, I'm just so proud. And we are in the middle of Pop Daddy in the middle of uh, Houston. Mm. <laughs> and we're both weeping. And she says, I, I hope you know how proud I am of you and um, and of you in this process. And wow. um, I told her everything that has been given will remains. And that includes the relationship and the restoration that I have with her, you know, mm-hmm. he, we didn't have much of a relationship uh, before, um, at least not an honest one, not a healthy one. And so um, for me to, to receive a mom in this process, one that is able to express her pride and her love and her connection and, and give me a sense of belonging um, has, 
it's the greatest gift I could I could not have uh, predicted with with this with his recovery for sure. That's awesome. And it came through it came through pain and and it came through just a painful, honest process of grieving together and me even speaking truths that I had long held silent. You know, the first time my brother uh, relapsed, he's relapsed twice, relapsed twice in the last um, uh, two years when we uh, were reconnected. And the first relapse, honestly, was a, it, it was a, it was a turning point for my mom in that um, he, when he relapsed, she was holding on to some of the same patterns that she has, has had for a long time. And she called me at that point, um, and I didn't even intend to share this, uh, but she called me and asked, you know, did you know your brother relapsed? And I said, I, I, she said, I, di- I said, I did. And she said, I don't know what to do. And I said, but you do. Mm. You've always, you've known what to do. You've been told what to do. And in that conversation, Ryan put his hand on my back, like settle down. And then he just let me go. And it was honestly like a fire in my bones. I couldn't have, I couldn't have stopped if I wanted to. And I just was mm-hmm. able to tell her, I love you. I love you so much. And I, and I love Chris and I have a brother now and um, you're helping him to die and um, until things change, until you change, until our responses change, then he won't change. Mm. And so it's time and to do the things that, that you know. Um, and I said, you know, addict Chris will do everything in his power to manipulate you and to um, maneuver in such a way that, that you respond the way that you always have. And I said, but healthy Chris, sober Chris would look at you and say, thank you, mom. Thank you for responding differently. Thank you for choosing differently. Um, he would thank you um, for, for doing what is necessary um, to save his life. And so for the first time that night, she um, turned him away. He came and he showed up and she said, I'm sorry. And she turned him away and um you know, my mom learned in a super painful way. I mean, I can't imagine how, how devastating and heartbreaking yeah. it is as a mom to turn your child away. But everything that the addict needs is in recovery. Food, shelter, belonging, community, shower, a bed. Mm-hmm. Everything that is needed for life and healing is is, is in recovery. Yep. And so my mom made that decision for the first time that night. She texted me at 2 a.m. and said I turned him away for the first time. And um, my brother went and got, got the help that he needed. Um and and here we are, uh, all learning together, all um, now growing together. That's yeah. That must have been so hard, but that's really cool that that you were able to, you know, speak truth that she didn't want to hear, but that she was willing to receive. Yeah, yeah. she was. She was. She was uh, so uh, gracious, and and my gosh, how hard that would be um, to to receive and then to to act and to respond differently. Um, right. But, I am. Um, I'm so glad that she did. I'm so glad that that was also a part of the, the process of her and I healing for me to be able to say things that I had um, felt for a lifetime and for her to hear them and respond to them is just really miraculous. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I think that in terms of the, the biggest blessing, I think is that um, the counseling that we, we've received, the restoration that we received within our, our family, um, it's, it's, it's truly miraculous for sure. Awesome. So, um, is there, is is there anything in particular or what helps you to remain faithful to Jesus when you go through these difficult things? Because this isn't the only difficult thing you've been (laughs) through for sure. Oh gosh. Well, I mean, the fact is he, he has remained faithful to me. You know, I, I went years, like I said, doubting his goodness. I stopped believing his heart was for me. 
Um, I stopped believing in the impossible things that he cared to do impossible things. And so I'm not so sure that I've remained faithful to him as much as he hasn't let me go. (laughs) Mm, Okay. So Um. for sure. Um, I will say practically speaking though, I think um, in my unbelief, I still oftentimes just listen to worship. Practically speaking, I put on worship and just let the truth speak over me and sing over me um, and let it uh, kind of live into my bones when I, when I can't feel it for myself. Yeah, I'm I'm compl- I'm the same way. Sometimes you mm-hmm. just have to listen, let it soak in, and mm-hmm. and try to believe it's true, even when you don't necessarily feel it's true. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Um, is there any? Are there any verses that um, speak to you the most, like in these difficult times? That's a good question. I think just keeping in mind, I think about Isaiah forty three that I'm doing a new thing. I think. I just so often now it springs forth. Do you perceive it? It's like, do you not perceive it? I think so often it's like, Andrea, do you not see it? Do you not see? <laughs> do you not perceive what I'm doing? Yeah. Um, and I'm like, no, I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> not right like, now. Not in this moment. Like, yeah. It's like, I'll make a way. I'm making a way in the wilderness. I'm making rivers in the desert. And I'm like, but Lord. I've been in the wilderness so long and this desert is so dry and I see no signs of life. There is not one sign of life here. Mm-hmm. And I so often feel that way uh, in my life and in family and my history that where, where's, where's the sign of life, God? And, mm-hmm. and, and yet he's always making something new even when I don't perceive it. So yeah. he, delights in, he delights in doing the new thing even when um, it's, it's hard to search it out. And sometimes it, it feels like it's a slow and deep work, but that is often precisely how he works is slow and deep over time. Right. That's how lasting change happens, right? Yes. And that's how, that's how endurance that builds our faith happens for sure. Right. Um, <laughs> so can you tell us about some self-discovery that's been helpful to you in your life? Oh, gosh. I love that. I love that you brought up the Enneagram because I'm I'm over here here geeking out about that actually right now. (laughs) I, I, you know, I had several friends that were fluent speakers and in the Enneagram well before I got on the train and Ryan was actually one of them. He's read Richard Rohr. He has Mm -hmm. the staff books. He's probably read five Enneagram books. He's a nine, right? He is a total nine. I'm a nine too. You'd be so proud. Yeah. My boy's been wing eighting though. Mm. I love it. So wow. That's kind of kind of where we meet because I'm a seven with a wing eight, and so yeah. So I I think um, the enneagram I think has been while I know it's all the rage right now. I think it does truly give a framework for understanding people's differences and their as you know mm-hmm. their motivations, their desire, their core desires. Um, it's really given as we speak to compassion for the for addiction. It's really right. given a deeper sense of compassion. Sometimes I need more compassion for people that just um, honestly are introverted more than addicted. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm seven. I'm like, help me understand my introvert, my 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 more security seeking, safety driven, introverted friends. I feel like, <laughs> I'm like I need I need more resurrection power to have empathy for those people sometimes than the addict. <laughs> But um, so <laughs> the Enneagram gives me a framework for that for sure. Yeah. Um, so, and then I would say the other thing, self-discovery, helpful in my life, counseling, 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 mm. not just in the context of addiction, um, but just uh, I think anyone, everyone could afford some time on the couch doing some, some counseling work and mm. allowing themselves to feel and to grieve and to sit with their own pain and their own story so that they can begin to have victory in it. 
That's so good. That's so important. Um, I mean, we can we can learn about who we are all day long if we don't learn how to deal with that or how to um, deal with the vices that come along with maybe mm-hmm. our tendencies or how we're kind of wired. Um, then we're just, it's kind of like fatalism, you know, like, oh, this is just who I am. This is the way I'm going to be. This is how I was born. <laughs> but then the counseling component coming in with that, like, you know, maybe I don't want to deal with the tough stuff or maybe I want, mm-hmm. I want to avoid confrontation, but it's super important in this point in my life. So, you know, I need help with that. I need help. And, you know, that's, that's how we heal. So, so good. Yeah. yeah. Um, how has walking through addiction changed your view of God? Mm, that's good. That's a good question. You know, I think, I think, it's one thing to profess with our mouth and with our belief and because of our faith that uh, that God is actively reconciling all things to Himself. This is one of the you know tenets of our faith and what we believe. Uh-huh. But I think just in a very real sense, I've watched Him restore right before my very eyes. I think just recognizing through addiction that he, he truly alone has the power to restore. And I have a deeper sense of, I think, trust Mm. um, in this process that he does not rest, that he does not grow weary when we grow weary. Um, He's always at work. He's especially working in our waiting. Um, So in in the case of addiction and and, and within my story and my family history, it feels like, like I said, I've been wandering in the wilderness. Right. (laughs) of life for two decades but I think just recognizing that that God is not weary and he will not ever stop he will never stop bringing life from death mm. ever so that's so good yeah mm-hmm. I think and, it's, and, I'm sorry and not just, and yeah and I think just sorry to interrupt Stephanie yeah. not just I think not just to, to individuals but that he's restoring families he's refor- mm. restoring whole families whole communities um, he, he will never stop being busy bringing about restoration. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. That's, I mean, he's, he's bringing us into families and sometimes that's bringing us into our own family, like mm-hmm. the, our birth family, I guess you would say, like mm-hmm. the, the family that we were estranged from maybe. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really cool. He, absolutely he is, he's so good to us. And um, so to anybody that may be listening, if, you know, we've talked a lot about addiction and um, what that, that might look very different from one person to another. Sure. And I mean, what, what I struggle with is going to be different than the person next to me. But for somebody that's struggling with addiction, mm-hmm. um, is there something you'd like to say to them? Oh, wow. That's great. Uh, yeah. That you're not alone. Mm-hmm. You have nothing, you have nothing to be ashamed of. What you have is pain, wherever your addiction is, whatever your addiction is moving towards, however your pain is moving or whatever it's moving toward, uh, you, you have pain. What you need is healing. Yeah. And so tell somebody, reach out, ask for help. And then I would say, then receive the help that's offered to you. Mm. Um, I would want to tell the addict that we're all in need of rescue. Every last one of us yeah. is wounded. Every last one of us needs a healer no matter what you've done or how long you've been stuck, how long you've been doing it, um, you are worthy of love. Your life matters. And it's, it's not too late. It's not too late for you. Mm. And I think we all need to hear that. <laughs> it's not too late and we need to be open and ask for help. Mm-hmm. Um, so what about 
um, any advice that you might want to give to a Christian who is um, trying to support their friends or family that are struggling with addiction? Mm, That's good. That's good. Yeah, I would say, I would say addiction, I think to remember that addiction is, it's not, it's not a train that you can stop. And there's also nothing that you can do to set it in motion. Um, What you can be responsible for is learning all that you can about addiction. I think we need to be informed about addiction. And what we can also do is practice abiding. We need to really practice abiding with with loved ones, uh, with, with others that are in pain and specifically that are in their addiction. We have to lean into pain, which is hard, which means we have to just acknowledge our own pain in so many ways and offer your presence. I think uh, assure your loved one of your commitment to their recovery. Mm. I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, uh, I think also, I think remember that they are not their addiction. I think um, my brother is not his addiction. Now, when he is in active addiction, I have to establish and maintain healthy boundaries when he's in active addiction, but um, that's not who he is. And I think that's really important to keep to keep in mind that when they are in active addiction, nothing else matters, um, yeah. uh, but that's not who they are. Mm. Yeah, I think it's it's super important for us to continue to remind them, like you said, we're here mm-hmm. for you, we care. And I mean, what... What better message can you give them in that time? Like lecturing or um, withholding love would be Mm -hmm. the worst thing to do. And I mean, you can, you just continue to be present and, Mm -hmm. but not at the same time, like not, you know, keeping those healthy boundaries and Mm -hmm. um, not, maybe that means not letting them back like your mom did. Um, and that right. time, that situation and establishing those firm boundaries and saying, look, I can't, I can't do this. It's not because I don't love you. And this is a really hard thing for me to do, mm-hmm. but I, I care about you. I love you. And I want you to be you again and not, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. addicted sure. version of you. Definitely. Yeah, I yeah. think, I think definitely pressing in even while they're in active addiction those constant reminders of your presence, of your love, of, of reorienting them to the help that they need. And what true help looks like is, is being in treatment. So for the addict, true help is always going to be seeking treatment, seeking professional intervention. And so I think intervention is critical. Treatment is critical. Counseling is critical. Mm-hmm. You know, we had skilled professionals take us uh, deep into our family history and into our personal pain. Yeah. And they help us, they, they helped us take things apart and to look at, look at them from all different sides. Like I said, every family member interprets addiction and uh, our life and history together differently. And so looking at that from all sides and then, and then putting it back together in a new and a healthy way. So I think definitely also getting help if you are dealing with somebody um, if you have somebody in your family or life uh, that is dealing and facing addiction, so are you because it is a family right. disease. And so get the help that you need, get the counseling that you need, attend um, meetings yourself. It was uh, really a beautiful thing. My first NAA meeting mm-hmm. as a family was with Chris on Christmas Eve, um, that, that first year that we connected and it was beautiful. Our kids went before we even opened presents that morning. We went to an 8 a.m. Christmas morning, actually, um, AANA meeting. Wow. And I would, I would just say that those spaces are there for you also. And I will tell you, I have found more strength and more nourishment and honestly, uh, more, 
there, there, it is a sacred place right. uh, to attend a, a meeting with people that are all fellow strugglers that are honestly, that look a whole lot like what the church should look like, which is confessional, which mm-hmm. is interdependent, which is um, honest and truthful and needy and, and, and uh, repentant and saying, I, uh, I, I turn back, I, I turn away, you know, and I, and I turn towards the help uh, that is necessary for me to have life and to have healing and to have wholeness. And um, it's, it's a beautiful, sacred place. And I, I think if you can get yourself into a space where you are attending meetings or even sitting among people that are in recovery, it is, um, it is a beautiful place to be. And um, I'm certain it's exactly where Jesus would choose to sit if, if he were there. So yeah. Um, yeah, I think also the other thing to remember, I think as a family member or somebody that's in the process of um, walking alongside is to remember that relapse is a part of recovery. Um, it just hap- it happens and it's going to happen because there's something more for the addict to either learn or discover or there's some other way for them to grow. And of course, if the addiction doesn't take them first, um, and it is crushing. It is hard uh, to walk through relapse. My brother has relapsed um, twice since we've been back in relationship with one another. Yeah. And the last time he did overdose and uh, woke up in a hospital um, where they narcaned him back to life, essentially. Um, but his courage to get back up and to keep moving and forward and his recovery, is it's astounding. And the temptation, I think, for myself... And this process is to is to something. It's, it's something called foreboding joy. Mm. Um, if you've read anything from, from Brene Brown and Daring Greatly, she has a chapter called foreboding joy, and it's it's so easy to do. And it's she says essentially that joy is the most vulnerable emotion that we experience. And so what we start to do is we start dress dress rehearsing tragedy. Mm. Um, and I t- I've totally done this uh, in the process of walking with Chris and addiction is is um, you know, you, you start to practice essentially disaster. And mm. so the antidote for that is, is practicing gratitude. And so mm. I live very differently now as a result of uh, walking with my brother in addiction every minute with him. And now every minute with his girlfriend, who's also in recovery, it's a practice of gratitude. And so I can practice disaster. I can practice fear. I can forebode joy, or I can choose to be in the moment and practice gratitude instead. And take a whole lot of pictures. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's really awesome. Um, when you were talking about the NA and the AA meetings, it, it kind of brought to mind the verses that talk about, um, you know, removing the plank in your own eye before you, mm-hmm. so you're able to see the speck in your brother's eye. I think that that's the perfect picture of that because mm-hmm. they have been there and they the folks that are leading the meetings are usually just a few months further down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they're many years and they've been you know, sober for quite a long time, but they always consider themselves an addict in recovery. Mm-hmm. And right. I think that there's no, I think it's done perfectly in those environments, removing the speck in your brother's eye. Mm-hmm. Like I think a lot of times in the church, we, we act like we have it together. And so when mm. something does happen, we, we're afraid to speak because, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not, per- well, I'm not perfect and maybe I shouldn't say something mm. in this situation. <laughs> but, you know, there, there's still a speck in their eye. It may be a speck and that's not as bad as a plank, but... <laughs> You know, right. We need to address that plank and we need to help them with their spec. Like we need to be okay with 
um, people coming to us in love and saying, look, I see this thing and I'm concerned mm-hmm. about it. And, um, and I want to, I want to try and help you through this process. Not that I've got it all figured out, but I, I serve a good God who has taken care of me and mm-hmm. will take care of you. And I think it's just a really good community for, for healing mm-hmm. because it is so open and so, um, yeah, so just welcome to, um, mm-hmm. to your faults and to your flaws and, mm-hmm. um, but not letting them stay that way. You know, we don't, they don't say, you know, I'm an addict and I'm proud of it. <laughs> it's right. Yeah. I, I need I'm, to deal I'm with this. Yeah. And I need healing and I need to heal within a community. Right. And with a dependency on something greater than myself mm-hmm. and someone greater than myself. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. So what do you wish churches would do to support people Ooh. dealing with addiction? Great question. <laughs> you know, I think I think there's so many within the church that are responding beautifully. I think to to addiction and to mm-hmm. people struggling in addiction. That's certainly the case. I know several, we know several people. Um, we've we've had several of our own people within our community of faith come around my brother and love him so beautifully and tangibly. And it's it's really, um, it undoes me, honestly, to watch it happen. Mm. Um, but I often think also at the same time, we, as the Capital C Church, I think sometimes we respond, whether it's addiction or any um, kind of behavior uh, that we don't understand or that we fear. There's so much fear, I think, within uh, within us um, that I think we... I think oftentimes we resemble the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, we've been, we've been, but we've been doing it right. And mm-hmm. we're the righteous ones. And we, you know, he already had his chance. And <laughs> so we kind of, yeah. I think sometimes the church, we, we sort of stand with our arms crossed and our heads shaking. And how did, how did you get yourself into this mess? Mm. How did you get, how did you get here? What, did, what have you done now? You know? Yeah. And I think um, I would, I would love to see from the church. And like I said, there are people doing this beautifully, of course. And I'm, and my gosh, we're not doing this perfectly at all so the when I say we I'm speaking to, to me also myself and I mm-hmm. but I think we should have the posture of the father and we run to receive the addict or right. to whomever the hurting person is the person in pain I think we receive them without judgment and shame and I think we have to recognize for the addict and to rejoice every one of their steps yeah and you know for the for the son it was a long journey home Mm-hmm. And it was one step at a time, one brave step at a time. And I, I think we rejoice over all of those steps mm-hmm. and we receive and we, and when we embrace, uh, we have the posture of the father, I think, rather than the older brother. So I would yeah. love to see a church. I would love to see a church beautiful in that way and yeah. receiving hurting people in that way. Yeah. It's, it, I feel like it's not something I hear talked about at church very often, um, mm-hmm. especially not from like the pulpit and, I guess there's the assumption that your church, you would you would think, would not be filled with people dealing with addiction, but that's not the case at all. That's, you know, whether it's pornography or uh, social media or whatever it might be. But I bet even within most church bodies, there are people dealing with addiction to, you know, serious drugs, to alcohol, to mm-hmm. painkillers, to all kinds of things that they just don't want people to know about and it's, right. it's not something I hear talked about and I'm I think that would be something that would be helpful for churches to do as well to say mm-hmm. look we know that statistically speaking you know 
in a group this big, there are people dealing with mm-hmm. this issue and we don't want to ignore it. And even if it's not affecting you directly, you know, people that it is affecting. And so, mm-hmm. you know, Absolutely. this is how we can support our brothers and sisters. So good. Yeah. And, you know, I think it would, it would pull back the veil and it would certainly address the shame of secrecy and hiding that, that, right. that we face regardless of, like you said, the addiction, um, whether it's work, um, or what we what we consider to be good or honorable things that we we devote too much time to or attention to that we are, are ultimately addicted to. I think again, we can't heal what we can't name, and if we don't start naming it, then shame and secrecy and sickness win. So I absolutely agree. Mm. So, um, what kind of encouragement would you like to leave our listeners with? Mm, that's good. <laughs> Yeah, I think I would say Jesus. I just I think Jesus is a living hope. He is alive, and He is our living hope. And He, He, regardless of your story, He breathes life and purpose into all of our dead places. Every dark part of of your story, as I look back at my story, every dark part of my story, every piece of your broken heart, every bit of it, He 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 intends to put you back together. He is mm-hmm. actively restoring all things to Himself. And he will transform your pain. And it may take a few decades of wandering in the wilderness. Uh-huh. <laughs> but he intends, he does. He, I think just whatever you're facing, whatever pain you carry, um, he intends to, to transform it and make good on it and offer it up to other people in the form of compassion and healing. So, yeah. Um, yeah. That's really good. I was thinking about, you know, your your process through all of the, the the two decades that you were dealing with your brother's addiction and how it was affecting the family and um, like God had to God had to ready you for that for that mm-hmm. reconciliation in a lot of ways and so our job in in all of this is just to be that ready person be that person mm-hmm. um, allowing God to prepare you for that meeting be hopeful always be mm-hmm. praying with expectation and understanding that God is faithful and that he he does so much more than we can ever understand and where we, mm. when we could ever do on our own so um so, I, yeah sorry go ahead no that's good yeah I love that yeah um so after you're gone what is what is something you want to be remembered for oh okay well let's see I, I think it's real simple I think I would love for it to be said that I loved God and my neighbor. Mm. And really, I, I think really, especially that I loved as if I had never been hurt, mm. that I left it all out there, that I yeah. lived a life that was just laid down in love for God and for my neighbor. Mm. That's so cool. That um, I was just, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the the kind of work that you and Ryan did for so many years. And I know it's it's changed a bit now, but um, you guys invested in all these college students, knowing that at the most you might get four or five years with them, and then they're going <laughs> to move on down the road. And like you guys <laughs> loved and invested, like okay, I've only got this small amount of time, so <laughs> I'm going to make the most of it. And I, I think that that I think that you did love well, and you still do. I mean, that's my experience that you did. So I think that's Thank definitely you. something that can be said about you right now. Thank you. Yeah. Very generous. Oh, well. <laughs> um, thank you for all the ways that you guys have invested in me and all of our, our um, other Aggies. <laughs> so. 
Yeah, we do. Y'all become y'all become family to us. For certainly, the worst part of living in this town, I think, is that we have so many breakups. <laughs> yeah, but you get to go to so many weddings, right? <laughs> I just am like, come on, everybody, let's just set up life and camp out here forever. But yeah, everybody, everybody leaves, but. Uh, we we certainly do love and appreciate the opportunity even to reconnect after all these years today. So yeah, and as for all of our talk around addiction to social media, I am personally so grateful for the ways that it keeps me connected to you and to others oh, yeah. that we love so dearly across uh, time and years and space for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, I I'm thankful for that too. That's that's makes it easier to not be in the same place as people as seeing. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, I'm glad that I'm glad to know what they're going through now and what yeah. they're what they're um, where they are in life. Mm-hmm. So, what is something that you're not very good at? <laughs> where do I start? Uh-huh. Oh, calling people back. <laughs> oh, anybody that's me. To anybody that listens to this that knows me is going to be like, yes, that's facts. Hashtag. But- um, <laughs> So let's see. Oh gosh, where do I start? Not very good at, um, huh? Uh, let's see. Um, well, my kids are in sixth grade right now. I'm not very good at sixth grade math either, if that means anything to anyone. <laughs> I'm like, what's it? Wait, wait a second. How do you, what is, what, what is, how do you divide? What is a decimal? I don't understand how to multiply it by fractions. It's all so hard. My brain hurts. I know. Um, so I'm not very good at sixth grade math. I'm not good at calling people back. Um, I, I'm i not good at a lot of things. Um, You're a good dancer. I've seen your videos. Oh, on well, <laughs> I'm a good dancer. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a willing participant. We have a lot of fun. That girl, she always have, has a vision for us. Certainly I have for every dance video I have posted on Facebook that she asks for me to share. There's three or four others that are tucked away on my cell phone so she's presently asking for a youtube channel and that's that's a negative negative right now <laughs> but yet. yeah you have a good time dancing that's for sure but yeah. i'm sure as soon as i get off this call i'm gonna have 10 other things that i'm really not so good at but uh <laughs> what about a, you i'm gonna turn the table oh man i am not good at confrontation <laughs> I am the biggest procrastinator when it comes to having difficult conversations. It's so you, you're you're a wing one then. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. That yeah. is totally me. I I like to do things well so that I don't have to have confrontation. <laughs> if you do a good job and you do it right, then people shouldn't complain to you, right? That's the thought <laughs> behind it. <laughs> that's that's always been the way. I I'm terrible at it. Um, and yet you have so many opportunities to practice in this life. So. Oh, yeah, I know. And there's also, you know, we all learn ways to get around it, right? <laughs> um, what is one career you wish you could have? Oh, gosh, that's good. You know, I feel like I've lived them all out already, honestly. Teaching, <laughs> teaching was a passion of mine. Uh-huh. And I never dreamed that I would be an administrator and I had the opportunity to to do that for several years. And now I'm consulting, as I said, for uh, programs nationally that serve vulnerable children and families, which is just a total dream. Um, But one career that you wish that you could have. um, Let's see. Oh, gosh. I mean, I... Yeah, I, I, if I could make a living, I don't know that it's a career. Mm-hmm. If I could make a sustainable wage and we could literally live off of uh, 
just travel, I, I, I guess I would be, and it makes so much sense for my personality, but right. you know, we converted a school bus into an RV. It's and, so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I came back from that experience so untethered and ready to just be release every single thing. And even, even person, I mean, I love people don't, don't hear me wrong. <laughs> I love you all. Yeah. Um, but I was, I just felt so untethered and, um, free that I could seriously, I could, I could pack up my life onto that school bus and just travel and go to beautiful places and make a living. If I could make a sustainable wage, uh-huh. I don't know. I don't know. I don't get this whole influencing thing, this influencing world on Instagram. Yeah. But if there was, if there was such a way to make it happen in a meaningful context, um, to anybody would, that's oh, listening that has those connections, yeah, I would be down with that. I'm like, if, yeah, if I could, if I could influence though, from like yoga pants and no makeup in the middle of somewhere beautiful without having to do a lot of work for it, then maybe that's my dream career. There you go. Um, that's a good one. Yeah. I like connecting, that. Connecting with people along the way, building relationships with people along the way. Um, and our little school bus. Uh, yeah. So make that happen. Somebody out there, somebody on the, on the interwebs. See, I'm the person that would appreciate the school bus, but wouldn't be willing to put in the work that you guys did for it. So I'd want to like have somebody give me a ready-made, reasonably priced school bus, and then I could go on the adventures. Well, I'll keep you in mind should we ever decide to list it for sale. Okay. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> um, so what's something that's changing your life these days? Is any books uh-huh. or anything yeah, I will tell you. I speaking of addiction, mine has uh, historically been Starbucks, mm-hmm. and until recently, a friend told me about. So write this down, people. A friend told me about this iced coffee at the grocery store called Stoke. Stoke. Have you heard of it? No. Okay. Well, S T O K, and it's it's changing my life. I'm, so, I'm literally yeah. writing it down. <laughs> write it, sister. Write writing it down. It down. Write it down. Stoke, so $4 for an entire jug versus, you know, the three fifty for an iced coffee every day, sometimes okay. a day. Who do I think I am? Speaking of, like, not having a livable wage, I'm like, who do I think I am that I can afford Starbucks every day? But Yeah, it's just three fifty. dollars Yeah. And then it adds up real yeah. fast. Hence, hence the everybody having some form of addiction, right? So mm-hmm. I... Stoke is changing my life. Um, but now, man, I can hit that bottle pretty quick, too, though. Yeah. So... I was going, you know, having one glass a day. I'm currently drinking a glass of iced coffee stoke right now as we are talking. So <laughs> you're so wild. That, it it's it's almost crazy. evening time and you're drinking coffee. You're so I wild. Know. Who am I? Who am I? <laughs> um yeah, so I'd say stoke coffee is changing my life. Otherwise, uh probably for the last year, I'm so granola also with my stoke coffee and my yoga, but mm-hmm. I think yoga for sure, because I'm a seven and mm-hmm. you know what that looks like and means uh, yoga has been a practice in my life that I've been cultivating for the last year. And it really is, it really is changing me okay. um, in a way that is desperately needed. So yoga. Oh, very good. Mm-hmm. So how can people connect with you? Is there any way if people hear what you're saying and they want to know more about uh, for sure. what you're about, what you're doing? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. I'm on the Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I do have a website uh, for consulting. Oh, cool. That's called connectionsatcount.org. Um so yeah, through Facebook or Instagram, Andrea Pale or connections.count.org. 
Okay. Are places that you can reach me at. That's good. I have to think about my personal cell phone, but those are good places. (laughs) No, no, don't do that. (laughs) Um, I have to say, I feel like for somebody that's close to my age, you do Instagram very well. Like you're always doing like your cute stuff. And I'm like, "Um, I'm just going to post this picture up now and write a little caption. Like in an influencing, I could make money from a school bus sort of way. I think so. I think for (laughs) anybody that's listening that may have those sort of connections, I have just the girl for you. And I'll take one of those jobs too, where I get to sit on a bus. And if you have more than one influencing position that you don't have to get dressed for work. I'll take one too. Okay. Yoga, um, yoga included. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I, I really am thankful that your brother, um, for that he's just open to this stuff being shared because I think it's going to bring a lot of healing to people the more that he is open and the more that you as a family share about um, this process and just what it looks like and I think it, I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's so glorifying to God to see, um, for other people to see what he can do and mm. how he can bring dead bones to life and how he can, um, restore brothers that were lost and, mm-hmm. um, bring families back into community. And I think it's, it's so encouraging to so many of us that may, may see, uh, are not, are really lacking hope regarding the future. So um, thank you so much for sharing. Oh, it's such my privilege. Thank you for giving me the opportunity and for honoring my story and my brother specifically. I cannot thank Andrea enough for her vulnerability and her willingness to share about the dark places surrounding addiction. And thanks again to her brother, Chris, for allowing the story to be told. That takes so much courage. It is truly a testimony of the power of God to do seemingly impossible things. I just want to continue to encourage you guys to share the tough stuff and give God the glory as he brings restoration. Please make sure you subscribe to the Faithful Podcast so that you don't miss a single episode. Bye friends, and always remember to stay faithful.